All right, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Kabbalah Cafe. So this is our mystical way to get the week started, and it is great to see you all on this very special Mother's Day. So, happy Mother's Day. And um, indeed, this is a very wonderful way to start the week, all together, studying and connecting. Okay. And Centurine, thanks for bringing the family. It's great to see you guys. <laughs> what a special way to, to mark the day. <laughs> exactly. All right, so today we have a, uh, a really great... Oh, hey, Matt. Good to see you. Matt, live from Kansas. Live from Kansas. Welcome back to Kabbalah Cafe. This is great. Okay, um, so here we go. Today we're going to do something that I love doing. We do this periodically. We are going to go through the Sphero chart. Now, for those of you that have studied Kabbalah with me before, um, in various contexts, you have probably encountered this in one form or another. When I say that, I mean in exactly this form. We're going to go through this today with a very specific focus on, hey Joy, welcome, on, um, on masculine and feminine energies, as you will see. Today's class is entitled Mob Men. That's like Mad Men, but not, right? Mob Men, I'm trying. Mob Men <laughs> and Feminine Faith. Mob Men and Feminine Faith. That's, and the goal at the end of today's session is to understand why it is that when it came to the sin of the golden calf, it was only the men that participated in the sin and not the women. What's up with that? Guys, come on. What's up with the guys, you know, dancing around the golden calf like that? So to better understand this, according to Kabbalah, we're going to go through this chart. Now, this chart is the Sefirot chart. What are the Sefirot? Well, we'll talk about that today. Ten divine energies that are part of the fabric of the universe. It says that God emanated these ten energies when... Uh, in the process of creating the world. These are the 10 building blocks, as it were, to the creation of the world. All right, all of this will become clear as we go around. So as we go on. So let's, um, Arlene, please, one second. Leave one here. Please take and pass. Thank you. And Donna, great to see you. Please take and pass. Um, I'm going to put this chart, if I can find it, I'm going to put this chart on the Zoom as well. Give me a quick second here. So while that gets passed around, I'm going to pull this up on my computer. Here we go. Sphero chart. Okay. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go through these energies. I'm going to give, I'll give you a little bit of a context about these. And, uh, and we're going to go through their, their gender, as it were. Right? So the masculine and feminine dynamic of these energies, which is a very interesting form of exploration. Okay, so let's, uh, let's jump in this together. Can I ask you a quick question? Sure. Who put this together? Uh, the specific handout? No. Or no, the, con the construct? Yeah. Of the energies. I mean, it's not in the Torah. Right. Like, how did it come to be that these So defined? it's, yeah, excellent question. So where, where do these 10 energies and their names originate from, and who's the first one that conceived of them? Um, it begins in Sefer Yitzira, which is one of the oldest books of Kabbalah. Sefer Yitzira, we don't actually know who wrote it. Some say it was Abraham, Avram, Avinu, our forefather, Abraham, who wrote this book. It uh, translates as the book of uh, formation, Sefer Yitzira. So it goes back a long time. It's in Zohar. Basically, in all the classic Kabbalistic works, you have this 
um, you have the schematic, as it were, of energies. What's interesting, and I want to point out a lot of different features of, of what you have in front of you. What's interesting is that you could depict these energies in two different ways. One is, and before I even continue, any depiction is just on a paper, right? It's like they don't actually exist in little circles, you know, in that configuration. But there's two ways to even conceptualize their configuration. One is um, one energy following the next. So you have like energy one, two, three, four, five, kind of like in a straight line. Again, not physically in a straight line, but just kind of going down from one to ten. Or you can, you can picture them as falling along three lines, right, left, and center, where you have, uh, as you have in this image, right? If you take a look at this depiction, you see that there's a right line, a right vector, perhaps we would call it, a left vector, and a center vector. And the reason for that is because that depicts the energies as they exist in a state of balance, as opposed to a state of um, non-balance. What would be the opposite of balance? Imbalance, or um, <laughs> all, right? Or, or just each one about themselves. So I'm gonna explain what I mean by first pointing out the following. Kabbalah teaches that before our reality, the reality that we exist in, there was a, another reality called the world of tohu. The world of tohu. Not tofu, that's something else. The world of tohu. What is tohu? Tohu literally means, huh? Tohu vavo, right. Tohu means chaos. So we have the world of Tohu is the world of chaos. What is the world of chaos? It's a state, right? It's a reality where, according to Kabbalah, the light was great. Come on in. Oh, you want to take one? Sure. The light was big and the vessels were small. The light was big and the vessels were small. What does that mean? What's light and vessel? You could picture it literally, but let's, let's speak a little bit more abstract. When it comes to, to Kabbalah, always speaks in terms of, many times speaks in terms of light and vessel. Light is what goes inside the vessel. So for example, in language, and communication, let's say you're writing an, an essay. Let's say you're in school and you're writing an essay, right? <laughs> Theoretically. So the concept, the concept is the light. The words you use are the vessel, right? So you have the idea that you want to convey, but you have to convey that idea in some sort of vehicle that's gonna transport the idea to the reader or to the listener when you're speaking. So the idea would be the R, the light, and the words, the vocabulary, the language would be the vessel, right? So thoughts and speech, light vessel, or maybe more precisely ideas and language, thought, thought vessel, uh, light vessel. You, all, you have light and vessel everywhere you look. You have um, basically the thing, the input, and then what is containing it. Now. Kabbalah teaches that any light, you can only see that it's a light when it has a vessel. So going back to my idea and language example, if you have an idea but you can't articulate it, no one knows about your idea, correct? If you have an idea, you have a brilliant idea, but you can't communicate it, so that it, it's almost like it doesn't exist in the tangible world without a vessel. You always need a vessel to, to kind of garb or to kind of... Uh, um, you know, shape the idea so that the idea can be intelligible and understood. So light and vessel. In the world of Tohu, which is the world of chaos, the light was too big for the vessel. So let me give you now a water example. So imagine you, you're thirsty. So you take a cup, um, you take a paper cup, 
or a styrofoam cup, whatever, and you walk over to, I don't know, one of those water cooler things, right? And you flip the thing, the toggle, I'm sure there's another word for it, right? You push down the water cooler nozzle, huh? The thing. The thing, right, the thing. That's the medical term. I don't know if we want to go so elaborate. But yeah, you push the thing and the water comes out, boom, shakalaka. Why? Because the light, again, light in this case would be the liquid and the vessel would be the cup. So light and vessel, you have a little bit of light, a little bit of stuff, liquid, in the vessel. The vessel is big enough to hold the stream that's coming through. But imagine you go to uh, a fire, you have a fire hose. And you have a fire hose. And you hold a paper cup in front of the fire hose. And you turn it on full blast. <laughs> now, I have, to, I have to stop myself for a second. The fire hose is the fire hydrants. Is that water or chemical? Do we know? Is it water? water. It's water. water. There you go. I don't know why I'm saying I, I'm asking a question. I want to know if it's safe to drink. So now that we've established that it is, now imagine you go with that fire hose. Right? I'm not suggesting that anyone do this, but you go, and then you want to fill up your cup. It's not going to work. It's too much energy for the recipient. I'll give you another example. Let's talk about education for a moment. Let's say you are a brilliant teacher. No, sorry, let me backtrack. Let's say you have a brilliant idea and you're teaching, right? You have this, like, it's not only a brilliant idea, it's like a deep and big idea, but you're teaching little kids. But you really want to teach this idea. So you present it in its full glory. You know, what's the expression that we use when, when uh, someone's saying something and you're not getting it? You say it went? Over, over right? Well, it went over, over my head, right? It went over their heads. What does that mean? It means that the light was too big for the vessel. So it didn't go in the vessel. It didn't go into the student's mind to be grasped intellectually, intelligibly by the mind. It went over the mind, i.e., it's too much light for the vessel. So Kabbalah teaches that there was a world called Tohu, a world of chaos. Why is it called chaos? Because there was too much light for the vessels. And so what happened to the vessels? The vessels shattered. Like my example with the fire hydrant, you crank up that water to the max, the water flow, the water pressure, you hold your little paper cup or styrofoam cup, don't hold it, just put it there, blast the smithereens. That's what Kabbalah refers to as the shvirat hakelim, the shattering of the vessels. When the light is too big for the vessel, the vessel not only doesn't hold it, the vessel can actually be harmed by it. A very simple example of too much light for the vessel would be the eye and the sun. Do not recommend trying this. But if you stare directly at the sun, right, it can damage the eye. Why? Because the full brightness of the sun, of the source of light, is too big for the vessel, the vessel of the eye. The eye needs light to operate to see. It needs light. But too much light is not good. Another example. Remember those film cameras? We've talked about this before. Those film cameras, right? Take a picture. What is that? What am I even doing? I'm, for, I'm, I'm forwarding. No, I am advancing. Thank you. I'm advancing the film. And then what happens if you pop open the back of your camera while the film's in there, huh? Yeah, you, you've exposed your, um, your negatives. Am I saying the right words? It's been a while, right? Hold on. Let me make a phone call as a life. Let me pull up my rotary phone and give a call to make sure I got this right, huh? It's not a negative until you process it. You've exposed your film. The film. Oh, good, good, good. Perfect. Thank you. So you've exposed the film, and now it's not. Why? Because it needs light. Hence the shutter. The aperture, it opens up, it closes, right? It opens and closes. It lets in a little bit of light. What happens if it lets in too much light? Yeah, it's, it's, it, ruins the, it ruins the film. So the point is like this. The point is, 
in life and in the cosmic realities, you need to have the right combination of light and vessel, or else it's not a good thing. If you have too much light, then your vessel's gonna, gonna bust. If you have too little light, well then your vessel's just sitting there like, what am I doing? Like, where's, where's the light? It's the magic combo is enough light, enough vessel, and that's, uh, that's the, uh, to mix metaphors, it's the holy grail. Now, getting back to, <laughs> no worries. Um, so getting back to, to Kabbalah and understanding the sequence of creation. At the beginning of the Torah, the beginning of the Bible, beginning of Genesis, it says that the world was tohu vavohu, right? As Jeff pointed out, the world was void and desolate or chaotic and desolate. And Kabbalah says that's not just a euphemism and it's not just describing what the world looked like, what this world looked like before it was created, but rather it's describing another realm before ours, another reality before ours, the world of Tohu. It was a space where the light was too big, the vessels were too small, and thus the vessels shattered. The fragments of those vessels form the, um, the building blocks of our reality, which is called the world of Tikkun. I'm sure you've heard that word before, right? Tikkun, like Tikkun, tikkun Olam. Tikkun means repair. The world of repair is where we try to pick up the pieces of the shattered vessels and put them back together again. Um, and we do that, of course, through living a good moral and, uh, and, and Jewish life. That is what picks up the pieces of these shards that are broken. Our world, the world of Tikkun, has less light and more vessel. Right? It's like that great debate. Great taste, less filling. I'm kidding. Right? Less light... What was that? Was that Budweiser? Bud Light? You don't want to get my Bud Light right now. It's too political. Oh, okay. I'm, I would never want to get political. All right. But anyway, getting back to this idea, there's more, more, sorry, less light, more vessel. It's sustainable. Our job is to kind of open up even more light because the vessels, we see the vessels, we don't see the light. We see the world, we don't see the source. That's just typically the way we go through life, is we see us, we see ourselves, we see nature, we see stuff, we don't see God immediately. So the goal here is, we have a lot of vessels, so is to open up the apertures, as it were, through Torah and Mitzvot, to bring down more light into this reality and suffuse it. But the way this world is built is through the construct of the ten spherot. And this is true on every level of existence. So whether it's this physical reality or the higher spiritual realms, everything is built with these, with the DNA of the ten, of, of these ten spherot, these ten energies. Spherot means um, something that is bright and luminescent. All of these represent light, forms of light, divine light in vessels. So you have light that takes the form of Chach, Mabina, Dat, Chesed, Gevura, Tefer, Netzachot, Yisod, and Malchot. And what I want to do today is go through each of these, get a working definition, and really try to understand what each of these energies are, and then ascribe a gender right, to these energies. Now, the, the ascribing of gender to these energies is going to be an interesting um, uh, um, activity um, or process. We're going to use the tools that Kabbalah gives us to kind of uh, ascribe either a masculine or feminine energy to these, to these energies, as you will see today. So, Chachma. Let's start from the top. The way you read this chart is top right, top left, and then middle, right, left, center, right, left, center, starting from top down. So we begin with Chachma. Chachma is translated as wisdom, and that is a very poor translation. Chachma is really creativity. It's not about wisdom. I don't even know what wisdom means. Chachma means creativity. If you've ever had a moment where you've pondered a problem and then come to a solution and you had that aha moment like, 
aha, I've solved it. Like you have a problem. Like how am I going to, you know, X, Y, and Z? How am I going to do this? How am I going to pull off that? How am I going to, whatever it is, in business, in life, in school, whatever it is, wherever you are and you're stuck with a problem and you suddenly arrive at a solution, the light bulb, go, right, it's depicted in comic books as a light bulb going off. That is the experience of Chachma. Chachma is new information, a new flash of insight, creative inspiration. So if, as well as if you've ever sat in on a meeting, a brainstorming session, starting off with a blank sheet of paper and then come up with something new, a new idea, that is all channeling the intellectual power of Chachma. So Chachma, I don't know if wisdom is, again, a poor translation. Chachma is creative intellectual creativity. Bina is very different. Bina is processing the information you already have, breaking it down, and understanding it really well. Understanding kind of works here. I would refer to it as actually comprehension. So it's as opposed to creativity, Bina is comprehension. So Chachma is the designer, and Bina is the engineer. It doesn't have to be literally like that, but like for example, right? You have the, the designers coming up with the crazy concept, the new idea, and the and Bina, the Bina side of the brain figures out how to make it work. So imagine, imagine you're working for Apple, and Johnny Ives, remember him? Mm-hmm. Remember Johnny? Ives. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was like Johnny the Johnny Ives, I think, or Ive, I think Ives. It's Ives. I no, no, no. Ive, no. It's the guy who designed the iPhone, right? Imagine uh-huh. he, yeah. Imagine he comes up with this idea. We're going to have a phone that has no buttons. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much. That is crazy. The age of Blackberry, everyone's typing on their Crackberries. And now this guy comes, I have an idea. I have, a, and I have a dream. What's the dream? A phone with no buttons. Sure, that's going to work. Everyone's addicted to typing on their Blackberries. And this guy's coming up with an idea of no buttons. Well, we have an on-screen keyboard. On-screen keyboard, really, that's going to work? Little things press, you're going to get it wrong. I mean, there's no tactile feel. How's that going to work? So, and then you have to build it out. You have to, you have to, you have to create it in a way that's going to work. Chachma is the idea. Bina is breaking it down, understanding it, making it work. Bina is the process by which you take new information and you understand it really well. So if you're researching a topic, right, you're researching a topic, a lot of that is Bina. You're channeling your Bina. Bina means you're going through a topic, understanding it really well, comparing, contrasting with other ideas. Bina is where your the flash of insight that you have or that you've read or whatever, that's where it expands. Chachma is a point. It's that aha moment when you're like, oh, I got it. If somebody asks you, what do you, what do you got? What did you, what did you get? You won't be able to answer it at that stage yet. Chachma is so purely creative, it's not expanded. It's still a single nukudat, still a single point. Bina is the expansion of that point. So Chachma is, is, create, is creativity. Bina is comprehension. What is that? That is where you're focused on the idea. So you had the flash of insight. You've developed it. That is now where you connect with it, where it becomes a little bit personal. Information in general, ideas are a little bit, um, so what I'm looking for, they are a little bit abstract. Not, that's not the word I'm looking for. They're a little bit impersonal. Ideas are impersonal. You can, you can know an idea and understand an idea very well. You can have Chachma cranked up to the max and Bina cranked up to the max, but it still doesn't mean anything to you. You can understand the topic really, really well, 
and it still could have, it could be completely impersonal to you. A story that I've shared countless times, at least it feels like to me countless times, um, Bertrand Russell was a uh, philosopher, and an ethicist, and a mathematician, and he was a professor in a university uh, decades ago, and um, unfortunately he was found out to have been engaged in some unethical behavior. One of his colleagues called him out on it and says, uh, you know, you're, you teach ethics, and, and here you are, acting in a way that's unethical. So he said his response was, I also teach trigonometry, and I'm not a triangle. That was his, that was his <laughs> response, right? In other words, which means that he was saying, I can understand it well, and I can even teach it, and that has nothing to do with me. I'm not a triangle, nor am I ethical, right? I can teach ethics, I understand it very well, that's not who I am. There's a disconnect. That is where you collapse the disconnect between the information and between the known and the knower, you collapse the gulf between knower and known, and now what's known becomes integrated with it. So you might know of a need, a social need. You might know that there are people in a country, in another country, or in this country, that are in desperate need for something. And you could be, you can know about it, and you can read about it, and it still might not move you in any meaningful way. That is where that information becomes personal, and you begin to connect with it. So Chachma, the three C's. Chachma is creativity, Bina is comprehension, and that is connection. It's where you connect with the idea. I'll tell you a story in a second about that. Yeah? I don't see the difference between Chachma and Da'at. To have Chachma creativity, you have to have internalized the Bina. Um, to, so Chachma, the way Kabbalah describes Chachma is that it's not necessarily internalized. It's it's you know, in those experiences where you are, you know, you're trying to solve a problem and suddenly you have a flash of insight. Suddenly you have a moment of inspiration. At that, if you freeze that moment, you still could not, good morning, wow, great to see you. You still would not be able to explain what you just realized to anybody else. You will have to take time to, fit, to, to almost process what you saw. I'll give you an example, a physical example. This is what Kabbalah brings up. Kabbalah says, imagine you're walking through a dark alley that you've never been in the, on that street before. You found yourself, you made a wrong turn, and now you find yourself in a dark alley, and you're not even sure where it goes and how to get back. You're, you're kind of lost, okay? Um, no streetlights, you're lost. And then suddenly there's a, a lightning bolt flash in the sky. And for, for just a moment, everything illuminates, and you see everything, and then... It goes pitch black once again. It goes as dark as before. Now you have to use your memory and your mind to recreate what you just saw. Chachma is the lightning flash of insight. It's that moment of inspiration, intellectual inspiration, where you see the solution to the problem, but you still don't understand what you saw. You still haven't processed it. You see it. It's that aha moment. Like, ah, I got it. What did you get? I'll tell you in a second when I figure out what I just got. It's the downloading almost of that, of that idea. But it's not, you haven't processed it yet. So Chachma is still not connection. Connection comes way later once you understand it. Chachma, you don't even understand it. You just have, you just, you saw, you saw the solution, but you haven't processed it yet. So Chachma is the least connected. Bina is a little bit more because you understand it, but you understand it as an idea. An idea sits there, not necessarily in here. Whereas that is where now it's getting a little bit more personal. Give you an example, I'll give you a story. This is brought down in, in, uh, in Kabbalah. The story goes like this. There was once a farmer who was illiterate. He didn't know how to write or read, read or write. And um, he gets a, so his, the, the, um, he would get mail 
and um, he would have the local malamid, the local school teacher, come over to his house once a week to read all of his mail to him because he couldn't read. Well, one day, the malamid comes over, he's going through the mail, and he starts reading a letter. Dear so-and-so, we regret to inform you that your father has passed away. And the man begins, the farmer begins to cry, and he faints. So the mystics ask the simple question on the story that never happened, but it's like an analogy, right? A parable. Mystics ask the following question. Why is it that the farmer, or this illiterate guy, why did he faint and not the guy who read the letter? Didn't he read it first? Didn't he understand it better? The word, didn't he understand the words better? What's the answer? It's not his father. It's not his father. You can understand that someone experienced, you can know that somebody experienced a loss, but it's not your loss. That's the difference. Bina is, I understand, I can explain everything about loss and mourning. I understand the topic. That is, it's personal. That is a completely different experience. Bina, you can have, your Bina could be lit up 100% to understand the concept, but it's still a concept. That is where it's personal. That is where it's personal. Okay, makes sense? So the reason why they're blue in this color coding is because they are the intellectual powers of the soul, blue being a little bit colder and, um, you know, I don't know, in, in water, water faucets or whatever, blue is typically cold, red is hot, that's just the way it is. So, um, so blue is colder, i.e. To, to, to indicate that it's the intellectual powers as opposed to the emotional powers. Now, the next energies that we get to are emotional energies. So we'll start with chesed. And again, just to not lose the plot here, we're describing what the mystics explain are energies and realities that God um, created, that God manifested to create this world. This world is created through Chachma, Bina, Dat, etc., and, and will unfold. And the human soul, which is created in the image of God. Remember when Genesis says, the Torah says that we are created in the image of God, in the image of Hashem. What that means is that our soul, the human soul, also possesses all ten of these energies, which is why we have. Chachman, it's easier to speak about it in our terms because that's what we understand, but, and, and, and we understand that this also exists above, but, but the way we'll understand this better is the best is by um, reflecting how these um, exist within us. So we have Chachma, we have creativity, Bina, we have the ability to comprehend and break things down, that we can connect with ideas, and now let's move on to the, to the, to the emotions. Because even that is how the idea is personal, but it's not how I feel about the idea, that comes next. Once it's personal, that leads directly to the emotions. Chesed is emotion number one, which is loving kindness. Chesed is attraction. It's love. It's generosity. It's giving. Chesed typically is translated as kindness or giving, generosity. Chesed is, 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 is the energy is flowing outward from within the person, and it's the, the directional arrow of chesed is outward. It's reaching out to someone. It is giving to someone, it is, it's love, it's kindness, it's all of the above. It's the energy is flowing from within to without. Gevura on the other side, on the left side, is the opposite energy. Gevura is not um, an outflow, but rather an inflow, which means the energy, the arrow, is pointing inside. Gevura means um, it's, the, it's the energy of, of constriction, where instead of... Gevura literally means strength, yeah. But in this context, strength means, how do, you, how do you depict strength? 
by clenching almost like to make a muscle, like to clench. So the idea of clenching means it's, it's withdrawing the energy as opposed to the energy being open, the energy is withdrawing. Gvura means as opposed to giving, it's a severity, it's a judgment. Gvura means I'm withholding. So the chesed energy is giving and generosity and the gvura energy is withholding, keeping it, keeping it close to me and not letting it go. Yeah, so, absolutely. Gvura would be boundaries. So chesed would be, let's say, let's talk about children for a second. Chesed is um, when the child asks, can we go to Ali's cookies. cookies? Yeah, I don't want to use that example. I was so, here's the problem. Here's the, no, I was thinking about any other example other than that. Why? Because I don't want to do gvura on you. I, I don't want to do gvura on, your, on the cookie shop, which the kids love. Thank you, Jeff. Um, okay, so chesed would be yes, let's go get cookies. Gavura would be no, let's not get cookies. Why? Because I don't know. It's, we got cookies at home. Because we got cookies. Well, or it's too close to dinner, or it's, you know, it's what, whatever the reason would be. Gavura would be creating boundaries and limitations and the ability to say no. Chesed is the yes, Gavura is the no. And you need a healthy no sometimes. I'll give you an easier example. Right, a kid wants to play with a toy. Yes, Chesed. Yes, the kid wants to play with a knife. No, <laughs> right? That's that's a healthy gvura. Every relationship needs Chesed and gvura. Every relationship, most relationships, healthy relationships need a good balance of Chesed and gvura. Chesed is yes, it's giving, it's it's that closeness, and gvura are gvura is the the boundaries. You need healthy boundaries. Every healthy, sorry. Yin and yang. That's why they're on both on opposite sides of the poles, right? One is the right side, one is the left side. One is open, one is a little bit more closed. One is giving, one is withholding. One is, it, it, there's just two different energies. You need both in a healthy relationship. So in parenting, you need to show your child love and care and, and, and generosity. At the same time, there's also boundaries and rules and restrictions. And that's part of a healthy, part of a healthy relationship. Right? Part of a healthy relationship is to have uh, a balance, uh, is to have both and to, and, to, and to utilize both of these energies in their healthiest way. Chesed, each of these could be distorted. Too much chesed right, is what we would call, I guess, spoiling. Right? Too much chesed is, you know, now the child doesn't know any boundaries or any nose or anything, so that's not good. Too much gavura, that's like, uh, I don't know, a boot camp. Right? That's like military. That's like too much gvur is like, you know, I can't do anything. You know, the child's like, I, you know, everything is a no. So you need a good balance between chesed and gvura. And, and, and we're always walking that tightrope between chesed and gvura. We're always, um, think about the breath, think about life itself. Physical, human, biological life. Right? What happens? The heart expands and contracts. Right? When it pumps blood, right, there's expansion and contraction. The lungs expand and contract. Everything is, in a, pro- is a process of expansion and contraction. Expansion is chesed, contraction is gvura. Literally, the, the, the heartbeat of life is the, is the duality of chesed, gvura, expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction. It's always that flow, ebb and flow between the two. You need a healthy balance of both. Yes and no, and yes and no, and yes and no. Um, okay, teferet in the middle. Let's keep on going. Teferet is translated here as compassion. Teferet is interesting because it's a hybrid of 
chesed and gvura, but not necessarily in the way that we might think. Tiferet is not like, oh, we're right down the middle, balance in between. No, you can have balance be- holding chesed and gvura at the same time, you can achieve a balance. Tiferet is a third energy. What is Tiferet? See, chesed is non-judgmental. Chesed, pure chesed is, I'm going to give. I'm going to give. Whether you deserve it or not, I'm, I'm a generous guy, I'm giving. That's chesed. Gvura is, well, wait a second. Let me look to see if this is good for you or if you need it. So gvura is using a lot of judgment. That's why the word din, judgment, is associated with gvura. Gvura employs a lot of judgment. Chesed employs pure chesed and employs zero judgment. Pure chesed is giving. Gvura is judgment. Teferet is both. Teferet is where I'm judging and I'm judging the other person to not be worthy of it, but because they're not worthy of it, I feel bad, so I'm going to give it to them anyway. You with me on that? Compassion. Compassion. Compassion or empathy. Uh, or maybe sympathy. I'm not sure which one it is. Right? So it's like I'm looking at the other. I'm being judgmental, and I'm looking, and I'm saying, oh, you know what? They're not really worthy of this. They're not. But because of that, I have Rachmanus on them. I have compassion on them. Yeah? What were you going to say? I was going to say, it doesn't feel very unconditional. No, it's not. No, 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 it's not. No, chesed is more unconditional. Chesed is unconditional. Chesed is, I love. I'm giving. Teferet is more of, I'm judging. I found it, the, the, the other. I'm, I'm giving one, you know, I, it, there's, this is manifest in every area of life. I'm just giving one example. I've judged the other to not be so worthy, but because of that, I feel bad that they're not. So therefore... It's kind of like um, Kabbalah used this in the context of one's own self-reflection. So you think about your own soul. So you try to reach a level of chesed. Can I? I want to. I want to love God today. Love God. Loving God is not always easy. We need to love God. Uh, who is God, and have I seen Him lately? So loving God is kind of complicated. He says, "Try to fair. Try compassion. What's compassion? I have a soul. Where does the soul come from? From above." And Nebuch, the soul was taken from above, from a pure place above, and sent down into this world. Can you imagine the culture shock? You have a piece of heaven that's sent down to this world, this world of chaos and drama. Wow, that's a culture shock. And then it's sent into a body with all of it, with all of its mishigasin, of its craziness, and all of its needs. And uh, the next thing you know, the soul is is just wanting connection, but it's hard to find connection. And so, to fa- so so internal to fair it is. I feel bad for my own soul. Shame, the soul has to put up with me. Ay, that's hard. That's not easy. And because of the compassion, we might take care of the soul because we're compassionate. And give the soul an outlet, i.e. prayer and good deeds and Torah study, etc. Anyway, that's, that's another example of it. But just in short, in brief, chesed is expansion, gvura is contraction, chesed is unconditional, gvura is discernment, teferet is combining both in a unique way, where I have the judgment and discernment, and as a result of that, I'm giving. So it's psychological gvura, but behavioral chesed. Does that make sense? Psychological gvura, on the inside I'm judging like gvura, but on a behavioral level I'm operating on a chesed level, which is giving. Psychological gvura, behavioral chesed, you're here for the first time. All right, moving on, netzach. I was about to say next, but it's almost like Netzach. Pretty much the same. Netzach is ambition. 
Okay, so here's the interesting thing about Netzach. Netzach is, and again, all of these energies exist in the fabric of existence as well as in the human soul created in the image of God who employs these to create. So Netzach is the ambition that we have to get stuff done. And I'll explain what that means. It's the drive. It's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Ambition, drive, motivation. What else is it? It is endurance. It's the ability to see something through to the end. And any, for any goal or with any goal that's worth achieving, you will inevitably bump into obstacles. There's nothing worth achieving that won't have a wall that, 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 that manifests along the way. You will always find an obstacle. The question is, when the obstacle presented itself, did you back down? Did you walk away? Did you, you, know, did you, did you retreat? Or did you keep on going to see your vision through? Netzach is the human ability to be so passionate about what you want that you're going to see it all the way through. Kind of like Chesed, in the generosity sense, was about open giving and that flow. Netzach is, in the context of, you, of the human drive, is about seeing your vision all the way through to the very end. That means when somebody tells you it's not going to work, when someone tells you it's flawed, when someone tells you it's never going to, you know, it's never going to work, you say, I'm going to do it anyway. And yes, Theranos can with one drop of blood. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a joke. Thank you. That was a joke, right? Even when all the experts say it can't, you say it can. I just need, an, I just need another $100 million to make it work. Anyway, all joking aside, um, the idea of Netzach. Oh, Netzach, can that be abused? Absol- can that be ugly? Yeah, that's someone who's so addicted to power and to their own ego that they keep on pushing and knock everyone over. That's the unhealthy. Every energy here can be manifest in a healthy way and in an unhealthy way. That's where free choice comes in. Netzach could be tremendously beneficial. Netzach means that I don't get my, I, I don't get sidelined by my, by, by how tired I am or by how, you know ups and downs, ebbs and flows of life. I see something through my commitments. I see it through all the way to the end. That's a great quality. And you know what? That can also be a disaster, leading someone to be so addicted to their own ego and their own power that they will knock everything down along the way to get what they want to, at the expense of everyone else. That's unhealthy. Exactly like Elizabeth Holmes. Also, right. Hode. What is hode? Hode is the opposite extreme. Hode is, here's translated as devotion. I don't know. We'll have to massage that in to the real meaning. Hode in Kabbalah means the idea of yielding to something else or someone else. Whereas Netzach is the ambition to push forward, Hod is the ability or the, or the, 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 yeah, the ability to pull back. Hod is yielding. It's like, you know, when you're merging onto a highway and you got the yield sign, you know what that means? The other guy's got the Netzach sign, you got the Hod sign. They're going forward and you, you are yielding to them. Hod is the ability in a conversation to listen to the other person who's talking. Netzach is, let me tell you what I think. Netzach is, you know the guy on the first date, he's, for two hours he's talking about himself. For two hours, this guy is talking about himself. I did this and I did that and I think this and I think that. Two hours in, he's like, Oi, I've done, I've done so much talking about myself, my apologies. Um, 
what do you think about me? Right? That's, that was the joke. That was the punchline. And that the delivery was, right? <laughs> you know that guy. Anyway, so, so, um, so, Netzach is, here's what I think, all the way, all the way to the end. Hod is, I want to know what you think. Hod is the opposite quality. Hod is submission to another or to a higher value. Hod is to put the brakes, right? And, and to slow down and to allow something else to, Present. Yesod is translated here as bonding. It's really about the power of communication, which is that give and take between Netzach and Hod. It's about Netzach is, is in, that, in the relationship. It's about the giving and Hod is the receiving. So in a sense, Yesod is that communication, is that connection. Every real connection, a real relationship employs both the Netzach and the Hod, the give and the take of, let's say, a conversation you're speaking, you're in that Netzach presentation, and then you're listening. As the other speaks, you're in that Hod presentation. You, 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 you share your thoughts, you listen to the other one's thoughts, and that is Yisod, that healthy connection of communication that blends both of those energies. And then you get to Malchut. And if you notice in this depiction, Malchut looks like an outlier. Do you notice that? It's kind of disconnected from the rest of the structure. It almost looks like you have like a nice structure, especially if you throw Keter in there, right? At no extra charge. We, can th- we could have thrown Keter at the top and it makes like a nice little diamond shape. And then you have a diamond plus one. Like what? Who's that extra wheel over there? Malchut. Malchut is disconnected from the rest. What is Malchut? Malchut is literally translated as kingship or leadership. You know, a week ago, England got a new king, King Charles. That was a big simcha in England. Was it? I don't know. Yes? It was a big Everyone's <sighs> Too soon, right? Oof, it's complicated. Com- Megan wasn't there, right? She was not there. Yeah, Megan wasn't there. She was the outlier. Right. You're saying Malchut is the Megan. I don't know. We'll have to see. But anyway, I asked yesterday, so I gave, Sandrine, I gave that class that, that you saw the email about. The one about royal drama, King Charles, Prince Harry, and the ethics in the midst of honoring parents. That's what was the topic we did in Davening 101 yesterday. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we spoke about the context of Harry and Charles, that complicated relationship vis-a-vis honoring parents. And so, um, why am I saying this? Because we were discussing how Meghan did not show up to the, to the, um, oh, you were there. Yeah, to the coronation. She did not show up to the coronation, um, and maybe that was her way of not like drawing too much attention, and it was just like it was able to happen. Anyway, oh, I know why I mentioned this because I was asking yesterday who's Team Megan, who's Team Non Megan. It was an interesting kind. Of, it's interesting. Lots of lots of strong opinions um, and some not strong opinions. So getting back to this, getting back to this final energy, Malchut. Malchut is the most enigmatic of the energies, and I will say. In my experience studying Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy, there is no energy that is discussed more than Malchut. Malchut is discussed, again, in my, in my studies, way more than all of the other energies combined. And the reason for this is, number one, because it is so enigmatic and mysterious, but also because it's the most practical. Malchut is leadership. Malchut is 
Um, you know, t- today, leadership is such an important word. Everyone's in a leadership. Everyone is studying leadership and trying to figure out how to be a better leader for themselves. Everyone, be a leader of yourself, of your family, of your community, in your school, in your workplace. Leadership, leadership, leadership. It's, all, it's a big buzzword. And Kabbalah speaks about Malchut in a very interesting way. The one thing you notice about Malchut is that it's at the bottom of all the other energies. Think about how counterintuitive that is. You think about a leader, and if you were to create like an org chart, where would you put the leader? At the top. top. And here, where's the leader? At the bottom. How does that make any sense? But you would think, correct, you, right, so that's the way it's depicted here. But again, I just want to point out how counterintuitive that is. In any org chart, the leader, the CEO, is at the top. And you usually have those lines and branches that go from the top. There's a single head, and then from there, the lines are going down to the rest of the organization, to the rest of the company or whatever, nonprofit. It goes there, and then it goes down. And here, Malchut is at the bottom. What's going on here? Did the Kabbalists... Get it wrong? I mean, it's a, it's a simple fix. Oh, now that's great. Tulmlam. Oh, sorry. Malchut. Right? But what's going on? Why is it at the bottom? So here's, and I, I don't want to, you know, Kabbalah didn't get it from modern conversations on this. Are you familiar with the phrase servant leadership? It's like a buzzword today, servant leadership. Servant leadership means that you're a leader, but you're also, you're also listening. Malchut, at the bo- Malchut being positioned at the bottom tells us the Jewish take on leadership. You know what leadership really is? The ability to listen and to integrate, to synthesize a lot of ideas and to then make a decision. Leadership means making tough decisions, but it's the product of, right, as Toba says, it's the product of listening to what comes before it, gathering information, synthesizing ideas, putting it all together. The greatest leaders are the ones who listen the best and the most. If you don't listen and you make decisions, that's not called leadership. It's called dictatorship. There's a different word for that. Mm -hmm. Someone who makes a decision on their own at the expense of everyone else and says, this is the way we're going to do it and that's it, my way or the highway, is less a leader and more a dictator. We have a name for that also. right? That's not malchut. Malchut is a very specific type of leadership, a leadership that listens, a leadership that is driven by humility. Think about the greatest Jewish leader that you know in history, in the Bible. Who's the greatest? I mean, right, it should be easy. Who's the greatest leader in the Torah? When you read the Torah, Moses, right? It's, it's called the five books of Moses after all. Anyway, right? Five, <laughs> Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, he's like, he's the dude. And, and when you think about his origin story of leadership, Happened at the burning bush. There he is, minding his own business. You know, shepherding his flock, as it were. And, 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 psst, Moses. Imagine the scene. He's like, who said that? Look in the burning bush. My, the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. Um, I played Moses in a uh, theatrical. This is, this is absolutely true. It was a play called Exodus. It was a show called Exodus. I know, it was a very creative name. We did this for kids, for school-age kids, um, in a few different places. They did it in New York, in Montreal. Elaborate sets. I played Moses. I held it like a little baby sheep or lamb. That was legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, legit. Live? Live, yeah, live action. Wow. Yeah, the no, plagues. Was the sheep live? Oh, yeah, 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 yes, yes. Absolutely live. Wow. Yeah. Had a staff, 
the whole nine yards. Yeah, I told them what to do. I'm kidding. They're like a walking stuff. Anyway, getting back to this. So um, I'm just remembering my lines. Uh, who said that? Anyway, so Moses, so God says to Moses, I want you, you to be the one to take the Jewish people, to go to Pharaoh, etc., relay the message, let my people go, blah, blah, blah. Fine. So what's Moses' reaction? He says, no, you got the wrong guy. It's like, oh, you want, oh, you want a leader who's going to do this? Great, find someone else. I'm not interested. Why? He, didn't wa- he wasn't running after power. He wasn't running after fame. What he wanted to do was, I don't know, live his life and, and be his own person. A true leader is someone who is marked most predominantly by humility and the desire not to be a big shot. The ones who are, the one who's running after leadership you might want to run away from that leader. Someone who's running, like, oh, pick me, pick me. It's like, uh, do we really want to pick you? I don't know. I'd rather someone who doesn't want to be in that position. The Torah says something fascinating. When it came time for Aaron, for the first time, to, to step up as the high priest. You know, God had appointed him the high priest, but, you know, it's a title until the tabernacle opens up and, and things are actually happening. So the day that the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was open for business, they had the big ribbon, Right, the hard hats. Kidding. Um, that, <laughs> so they opened up the Mishkan, and uh, and it came time to offer the first sacrifice. And it was supposed to be Aaron to do it. And Aaron doesn't want to approach. Aaron Cohen, he doesn't want to approach. And Moses says to him, "Go." He's like, "I'm too. I'm too." It's uh, it's kind of like embarrassed or shamed. He was afraid to go. And Moses says, oh, you're embarrassed, you're ashamed. That's why you were chosen. That's why you were chosen. You don't want someone who's running after, someone who's running after it. Oh man, that's probably for all the wrong reasons, right? Because to be a leader is very difficult. You have to listen a lot, a real leader, to listen a lot. You have to care about the people that you're leading, to really care. And that's not an easy thing. That that, That requires a lot of, Intake. We typically think that a leader is the one who gets to call the shots and tell other people what to do. Leadership is being open and listening and being sensitive to the needs of the other. That's what real leadership is. That's why leadership is so hard to get right because the leadership model that we see in the world is the exact opposite of what real, at least according to Kabbalah and Judaism, of what real leadership is. Right? We make a big, big, uh, there's a lot of noise about the leaders who are all about telling people what to do and this and that and that. Meanwhile, a real leader, someone who's sensitive and listening, is, um, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make a, a big splash. But that's what real leadership is. When you look throughout Torah, King David, Moses, in our times, the Rebbe, for a year, refused to become officially named as Rebbe. He didn't want it. He didn't want the job. He didn't want the job. Until there was no other choice. <laughs> I mean, it's like, all right, you've been selected, right? You've been selected. <laughs> so you get those phone calls. Hello? You've been selected for a cruise. <laughs> I don't think so. I'd rather not. I'd rather not have your cruise with all the strings attached. Oh, you could be the leader. I don't want to be the leader. I know what it means. I, li- I don't live my life anymore. To, live a- to be a leader means I don't have my life anymore. I've just let go of my life, right? I've... A rebbe doesn't have. A, I mean, we're speaking in, in 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 like. It means you don't have your own life anymore. 
There's no personal life. Now it's all about the people, it's all about the leadership, it's all about listening to what everyone needs and, and helping others. That's what real leadership is. So who wants that? <laughs> you want, oh, you want the leadership where you can tell everybody what to do at their own peril? Oh, you want to be a dictator. Oh, so just say that. You want to be a dictator, not a leader. Anyway, well, here's the point. Malchut, of all these energies, is so unique. It's the only energy of the ten that is more focused on the other than self. All of the previous nine, my ideas, my feelings, my ambition, my this, my that. Malchut is about you. Malchut is about listening. It's about caring. Yes, you have those compassion and, 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 loving and love, but that's how I love. That's how I'm compassionate. Malchut is not how I'm the leader. Malchut is about taking in from the other. Malchut, of all, that's why it's hanging below the others. That's why it's an outlier. Why is it an outlier? Because of all of the ten energies, it's the only one that's more focused on the other. Think about it in a very simple way. Think about it in a very simple way. To be a leader, you need someone else. You need the other. To be kind, you could be kind yourself. The way Kabbalah describes it, let me give you an example. Kabbalah says like this. The biblical story, remember Abraham after his brit milah, after his circumcision? Yeah, it was painful. He was 99 years old. It was day three. The day of the most severe pain. Where was he? Day three. He was looking for guests. He was sitting outside his tent, scanning the desert. I don't know what this is. I know what this is. Binoculars. Scanning the desert horizon to look for guests. Who would be coming over the next sand dune, the nearest sand dune, and looking for some food and some hospitality? Because that's who he was. He was hospitable. Kabbalah says, you know what that means? There was no one around. There was no one around. And you know what he felt in his heart? Generous. He felt generous. Put someone on a desert island and they won't have the feeling of malchut. Malchut is a responsive emotion or it's a responsive quality. In response to those that need guidance, etc., malchut responds. Chesed is self-generated. Gvura is self-generated. All of these energies are self-generated. And they're really about expressions of self. Malchut is responsive. Malchut is responsive to a need of others and, and to, to, the, to what they need and what they wish for. You can have a friend on a desert island. If no one's around, you can create a friend, an imaginary friend. We'll call him Wilson. We'll call him Wilson. We're thinking of the same, the same source, right? Tom Hanks can create a fictional friend on a desert island, on a deserted island. Still didn't make him. Right. To be a king, you actually need someone there. Ein melech below am. You cannot be a king without a people. You need others. You need that input. You need to be able to listen. Chesed, you can self-generate. Gvuri can self-generate. You don't need anyone there. Abraham had no one around, and he felt inspired to be generous. Malchut only exists in response to the needs of others. Malchut is responsive. Malchut is all, my point is, from its very genesis, 
Malchut is only generated by the needs, by the existence and needs of others. And then when it exists, it's healthy Malchut is only about taking care of their needs. Malchut is always about the other. All of the other energies are about self, self-expression. Malchut is about the other. That's exactly why God created a world. So that he could be kind. Malchut. Malchut is, is, the, is, the, key, is the key idea here um, in creation. That's why it's the most talked about. Malchut, although it's at the bottom, for the next world, it's at the top. There are many, there are many uh, levels of existence, right? many worlds, spiritual worlds. The Malchut of the upper world becomes the Keter, the crown of the world beneath it. That is the way the structure works. Malchut of Atzilut becomes the Keter of Berea. Malchut of the world of emanation becomes the Keter to the world of creation, which is the subsequent world. And then this Malchut becomes the Keter to the next world, and so on and so forth. But Malchut on its own, Malchut of its own energy, is about receptivity, openness, listening. It's about the other. Malchut sees beauty in the other. Malchut takes the other seriously. Malchut listens. Malchut is all about the other. Yes, the other ones also are about listening and giving and generosity, etc. But it's about me listening. About, it's about me being generous. Whereas Malchut is legitimately about the other. And again, it's completely counterintuitive to the way we think of leadership or way we think of, of, of Malchut, perhaps in the, in, in the uh, you know, kingship, in the, uh, in the colloquial sense. But it's, that's what Jewish leadership, that's what leadership from a Jewish understanding is really all about. This helps us understand the gender, as it were, of these energies. Here's what I mean. <clears throat> so when it comes to masculine and feminine, which men and women, just to, just to clarify here, men and women all have all 10 of these energies. Okay? Which means that men have all 10, women have all 10, so we all have all. Nonetheless, Except. N- huh? I you were going with no, 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 no exception. And yet, not except, but and, and at the same time, there is still energies of these ten that are more that fall along more of the masculine side, and energies that fall more along the feminine side. What's the difference between the masculine side and the feminine side? The masculine side would be more about self. The feminine side would be more about the other. So in the context, for example, in the context of bringing life into this world, so there is the masculine energy, as it were, and there's the feminine energy. The masculine energy is... There is, um, there is giving on that side, but it's more about the self-giving, whereas the feminine energy is more about creating life. It's more about developing and creating the life itself. There's more of a, there's a nine-month focus, as it were, on actually creating and developing a new life. And so what we have here is the, uh, is the duality of the masculine and feminine energies, where the masculine is always about in the language of Kabbalah, it's mashpia and mekabal, giver and receiver. Giver is me, right? It's me giving, and receiving is more about you. I'm taking in what you have to say. So of these energies, 
most of the energies are about giving, i.e., what I have. I'm going to, my chesed, my gvura, my teferit, my netzah, my hod, my yesod. Malchut is about receiving. Again, receiving would be more of the feminine quality. Giving is more of the masculine quality. Understanding this in the world or in spiritual context, the masculine approach to repairing the world would be, the world is broken, we need to fix it. Right? What can we add to the world to fix it? Whereas the feminine approach is, it's already beautiful, we just need to uncover its beauty. That's why Shabbat is considered to be a feminine energy. Right? We talk about the Shabbat queen, Dodi, the Shabbat queen. Why is Shabbat feminine? Six days a week we work. And what's the nature of work? It's broken, I'm going to fix it. Right? The world is not perfect, what can I do to fix the world? Shabbat, the energy of Shabbat is, the world is already beautiful, let me uncover its beauty. Let me develop its inner beauty. That's a, that's a feminine approach. Again, men and women work, men and women rest on Shabbat. It's not men versus women, it's more of a masculine approach versus a feminine approach. The masculine approach is, watch this. The feminine approach is, Cultivation. That's just the nature. Mashpia, mekabel, giving versus receiving and cultivating. So again, in these energies, what you have is, and I'll give you the Kabbalistic terminology, za and nukva. Here we go. Za refers to ze'er ampin, which is translated as the small face. What's the small face? It's this partsof. It's this visage, right, left, center. It's kind of like the face, right? Left, center, two eyes, and a nose, balanced face, right? Two ears, a mouth. And a smile underneath. This, well, this is, yeah, this is the outlier, the way we're describing. So this is, right. oh, you're saying this is the smile. Yeah, there you go. Looks like, looks like a clown. So for those that are fear of clowns, oh. it's not a face. <laughs> so, so what we're talking about here is this, it's, it's called ze'er anpin, the small face. There's Arach Anpin, which is the long face, and that exists. One second. That exists. Okay. That exists in the, um, in the higher realms. We're not talking about Arach Anpin. Zer Anpin, the small face, is right over here. These six energies. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's called Zer Anpin. And then you have Nukva. Nukva is the feminine energy of Malchut. Zah is masculine. Nukva malchut is feminine. Zah is giving. Malchut is receiving. Right? As Toba said before, these energies are all sharing and malchut is listening. This is like the other top. The top three, so it's interesting. This is like the other top Hanks movie. The... <laughs> I don't know which one. <laughs> the one that took place in the Louvre. Which one? The oh, or in the airport? No, no, no. Catch no, me no. if you can. Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code. They also talk about feminine being the receiver. Oh, do they? Yeah. Well, they got that from Kabbalah. I was going to say. That's not even a question. I never read the book. I never, but yeah, that's 100% Kabbalah. So up here, that is, we'll leave that aside. Chachma is considered masculine. Bina is feminine. Why? Chachma is the flash of insight. It's like the seed of the idea. And Bina is where it's developed and cultivated. 
So that's kind of like Bina is like the womb of understanding where you develop the idea, whereas the Chachma is like the seminal idea, the seminal drop of the idea that then it gets cultivated in the womb of Bina and developed and then birthed as an idea, uh, as, a, as, a, as a fully fledged, fully built out with limbs and everything idea. So Chachma would be the masculine, Bina would be the feminine. But then when you get down to the emotions, right, the red stuff, so um, the first six are the masculine energies and then Malchut is the feminine energy. And so the big idea, and we're going to do this next week inside um, because we're approaching the time, the big idea that we're going to share in our discourse, which looks like this, um, is that the feminine uh, energy is very much connected with, um, with the other and understanding how the process of creation happens. It's like, I mean, again, just going back to, to, to human to life or procreation, it's, the, it's the, the feminine, it's the mother that has a much greater, I don't know, grasp on the creation of life, right? Creation of new life. That's why we celebrate Mother's Day. That's right. Perfect Mother's Day Combined theme. Doesn't. Right? Huh? Well, every day is, oh, that's only because we say every day is Mother's Day. That's, that's, that's how we... That's how we get. That's how we get. <laughs> that, that's how we get that in. You're not your husband's mother. I know. I'm talking about the kids. Every day is my mother's day. Yeah. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll talk after the guys. But here's the point. The point is that um, that the mother, as opposed to the father, the mother has a sense of creating life and understanding life and seeing how you know the life that's created was the process of the gestation, et cetera, more, than, more than, uh, than, the, than the male, more than the man, more than the father. It's just, it's a natural biological thing. There's just more of a connection. Malchut has a greater sensitivity to what comes below it than the upper energies. I'm going to say that again. This is the final point that I want to say today. Malchut, Right, which, as I said before, Malchut, the lowest of one level, becomes the Keter to the next level. Malchut has a greater understanding from the inside out of the energy that will flow into the next world as opposed to the energies that precede Malchut because those energies are not directly flowing into the next world or shaping the next world. It's Malchut that deals with the people. It's Malchut that deals with the other. The other energies are like, here's what I think, here's what I think, here's what I think. It's Malchut that synthesizes those and then shares them and then passes them forward. It's Malchut that is more connected with the Am, with the people, than all of the other energies prior to it. And thus, it's Malchut that understands how the life that exists beneath it is connected with the life that exists above it. Whereas the higher energies don't see any connection really between themselves and what is produced, Malchut sees the process all the way through. One might say, in the, in the physical example, the human example, a father is like, wow, where did this child come from? And the mother says, I know exactly where this child came from because I've been carrying it and, and I've birthed it into being. So the mother has a deeper appreciation from the inside out, right, literally and figuratively, of the, the process of creating life and that new life and how that new life is a continuum of what was before, whereas the masculine perspective is more, there's, more, there's, a, there's a, a bit more of a gap of disconnection organically between where it comes from and what it becomes. That's going to play a pivotal role in understanding why the, the sin of the golden calf was driven by men 
and not by women. I intended, I thought we might get to there today. It's fine, we'll get there next week and we'll read it inside. It's a, it's a dazzling interpretation and reimagining of the whole entire episode of the, of the Golden Calf and also really a call for all of us because at the end of the day, it's not about men versus women. It's about masculine versus feminine approach and every male and every female can, can, um, can call forth their inner malchut and their inner malchut means the, the ability to see to see the flow of life from the top going all the way through into that next space. And it means the connection between what will become and what was, it's seeing the two, uh, the, the connection point between the two. And that's the key, as we'll see, to the idea of maintaining faith, of seeing God in this world. Yeah. In the world of Kabbalah, do we assume that these svarot exist for us to seek a balance Amongst the ten energies, yes. become a better individual so that we can go to the next level? Or? So the answer to your question is 100%. The reason why we know about this and study this is precisely to try to achieve a better balance of this in our lives and to achieve a more har- a harmonious balance of these energies. That is one of the definitions of tikkun, as opposed to the world of tohu where each energy, I don't know if I ever got back to that uh, Tohu versus Tikkun thing, whereas in Tohu, the world, the primordial world of chaos, where each energy is on its own and it doesn't see a balance. So when you don't see a balance, you have a bunch of people in the room and everyone has their opinion and no one's speaking to each other, you have chaos, right? You have absolute chaos. Whereas uh, the world that we live in, the goal is synthesis and Tikkun. So that's the answer. Now to your second point, or to how you concluded that, and does that get us to the next level? I would say that Judaism focuses less on the, eleva- the personal elevation that is born of that and more about the impact on the world right here, right now that is born of that. And when, we're, when we are in a place of equilibrium and tikkun, when we are not chaotic inside, when we are harmonious inside, we are more likely to, to, to live that way harmoniously on the outside and create a more harmonious environment for us all. And that is essentially creating a better world and a more messianic world, a more Mashiach energy world, which is really about a balance of the energies. It's really about that uh, seeing the light in the energies, which is which creates that balance. So yeah, that would be one of the major goals, yeah. Are these specifically Jewish energies? Because the people at the Golden Calf, a lot of them were not. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's a very good question. My understanding of this is that these are energies that exist within the human soul within both the godly soul and the animal soul, within a Jewish soul and with other souls, but specifically human souls, because it says that human beings were created in the image of God. And um, the idea here would be that, let's say, animals have their own energy and their own soul, but not necessarily composed of these 10 specific energies. This is unique to the human soul. And, um, and it's unique to the, to, to, to the human experience to have these different powers and abilities that were then meant to synthesize. The key here today is understanding how malchut is both the end of one space, that which is receiving, and also giving to the next space, but in a way of compassionate kingship or servant leadership, but seeing the energy flow all the way through from one dimension to the next. It's very powerful and it's very beautiful and it's going to help us understand why that feminine, um, what I would call that feminine awareness is the key to seeing God here on earth as opposed to thinking that God is up there and that here's a world and there's a gap in between. 
seeing the flow of divine energy from the top all the way to the bottom is a uniquely feminine lens to see the world through. It's seeing that process all the way through. And that's going to help us understand why it is that the women did not participate in the golden calf and why really for us the calling is, for all of us, men, women, right, other, it's about evoking, it's about evoking that feminine energy within us to really see the truth of what drives all of this around us. All right, thank you for joining me this morning for a Kabbalah Cafe. Baratia, <laughs> glad you enjoyed. And again, happy Mother's Day. What a perfect topic for Mother's Day to speak about malchut and feminine energy. Oh, by the way, one, one major upshot of all of this is that the energy of leadership is aligned with femininity, right? At, for, for how many centuries or millennia has, has it been that, that, um, that leadership or kingship has been dominated by a more masculine energy? And in Kabbalah, what's fascinating is that literally malchut is nukva. Nukva is like nekeva, for those that know Hebrew. Nekeva means female, right? Right, feminine. Literally, Malchut in Kabbalah is called Nukva. Nukva is the Aramaic of Nekeva, feminine. So it's, it's just fascinating that, that in the Kabbalistic Jewish understanding, leadership is always a feminine energy. That's why Queen Elizabeth is better than Queen King Charles. Is I, we'll have to see how it plays out. Maybe he has to channel his inner mom. You can't do this. <laughs> you can't do the wave? All right. Well, thank you all for joining. Don't forget, next week, same bad time, same bad channel. Oh, also, I should point out, this week... We have a few special. Um, well, we have a few, few special events coming up. Number one, tomorrow night we have a book launch and signing. Not a book that I wrote, but a book that a good friend of mine wrote, Mendel Rabbi Mendel Edelman. He wrote a book called Lodestone. Uh, it's all about reconciling divine values with human values. What happens when you read the Torah and you're like, "Well, that doesn't resonate." Like, I have my own values, and that doesn't resonate. How do we reconcile those two values? And then next week, that's tomorrow night, right here. Um, uh, actually, I think maybe even in this space at 7.30. And then next week, Wednesday, a night before, one, one night before the holiday of Shavuot, we have a special lecture by a, rabbi, a visiting rabbi from South Africa, Rabbi Levi Weinberg, who will be speaking about the topic of Torah in 23, uh, Torah's modern-day application and how Torah can guide us in our modern dilemmas. Coming up. At a Torah center near you. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Pleasure, oh, pleasure. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, the Wednesday class. Yes. We got to get you in on that. Yeah. Can you email me? You're talking about the Jupernatural? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So um, if, if you even hang around here, I'll make sure to send you the email and we'll get you going. All right, let's say, let me just say a quick hi to everybody here. Fran, it's great to see you, live from Vegas. Larry, live from California. John and Lisa, live from Georgia. And Matt, live from Kansas. How's life in Kansas, in the new house? Amazing, amazing. It's so great to see you. Good, 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 good. Awesome, all right. We'll connect soon and keep a lookout for uh, for a housewarming. It's uh, it's on its way. Pleasure. All right, we'll see you guys. Have a wonderful week, Shavuot Tov. Take care, everybody. What a treat!